Well, as I said in the end of the prayer there, we are in the book of Hebrews, chapter 1. And we've come through the first six verses where our Lord is declaring to us that this Jesus, the God-man, now remember, Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. And He has not always been God in the flesh. He's always been the Son of God, yes. He's all, he is the eternal Son of God. But He's he had to be made flesh. And so when we see that he was made, being made so much better in verse 4 than the angels as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they, it's because he was God in the flesh. He was more, he was better than the creation. He is the creator of all things. Christ the God-man, God in the flesh. That's what it says over there in verse 4. Being made so much better than the angels. God manifested in the flesh is the eternal Son of God. God the Son is eternal, yet He had not always been so. Yet, I'm sorry, He had not always been flesh. He had to be made flesh. And so we read in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 5. But when the fullness of time was come, when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoptions of sons. In John chapter 1.14, these well-known words, And the Word was made flesh, and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Turn over to the book of Acts Mark your spot here in Hebrews. Actually, you know what? Before we do that, before we do that, let's read our text in Hebrews chapter 1. Read with me, if you would, verses 7, 8, and 9. Three verses. And the angels, and of the angels, he saith, who maketh his angels spirits, and his ministers a flame of fire. Now we read that last week, but you need to, we need to read that again to lead into what this next verse says. But unto the Son. Remember, our Lord did not say to the angels, He did not say to the angels, Thou art my Son, this day have I begotten thee. But He did say it to His Son, the Lord Jesus. So here in verse 8, But unto the Son He saith, Thy throne. This is God the Father saying to the Son. Not only did He call Him His begotten Son, He saith this. He says, Thy throne, Your throne, the throne of the Lord Jesus Christ. O God. Now, you talk about mind-boggling. We, we, how often do we say, I can't, I can't explain this. I can't explain how Jesus Christ was made sin. I can't explain to you how God was manifest in the flesh. But we see over and over and over in scriptures where Jesus Christ himself is called, Oh God. And here we see the Father, but under the Son, thy th he saith, God the Father saith, O God is forever and ever. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. And then it says these words, A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Verse 9, Thou hast loved righteousness 
and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee in the oil of gladness above thy fellows. Now, if you would, I want you to turn over to Acts chapter 1. Remember, we just talked about how Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. We just see it here in verse 8. O God, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. That's what God says under the sun. Now over here in Acts chapter 1, we're going to read in verses 9 through 11. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly towards heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Now turn over to Acts chapter 2. Just a page over to the right there, if you would. I want to look at just a couple of verses in Acts chapter 2. Peter is preaching a message. He's been preaching to these ones. And, and I want to look at verses 22 through 24. He says, Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs. Now you remember... Remember the Pharisees came to him one day and they said, How long do you make us to, to, to doubt? And the Lord says, I, I've told you who I was. I've told you who I was, but you're not my sheep. My sheep, the works that I did in my Father's name, they prove who I am. But you're not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. So here we see here, God among you, uh, which God had approved, Approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel. Folks, that's a counsel that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit had determined before the world was. And foreknowledge of God ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain whom God, whom God the Father, hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holding of it. This is whom the Hebrew writer is talking about. This very Jesus that we're reading about here. This one that God the Father hath, take, hath raised up, raised up to sit at the right hand of God the Father. This is the one this Hebrews writer is talking about. Look with me again at our text. Verse 8 again. But unto the Son he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the, is the scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. If I should title this morning's study, it would be a scepter of righteousness. I want to consider this word scepter for a moment. It's only used twice in the New Testament as the word scepter. 
And we'll look and see a little bit at how it's used there. In the Old Testament, the word is shebet. That's of the Strong's Dictionary. It literally means a stick for punishing, riding, fighting, ruling, walking, etc. Or figuratively, a correction, a dart, a rod, a scepter, a staff. Look with me over, if you would, at Genesis chapter 49. And let's look and see how the Lord uses this word scepter in the Old Testament. I found it interesting that if you think about the staff the shepherd uses to to herd the sheep along. I thought about the rod of correction. Oh, how I pray the Lord will use His rod of correction upon me. In Genesis chapter 49 which I'm not quite there yet. Here we go. We read in verse 16 these words. Look with me at verse 16. Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. That word tribes, that's that's a scepter. That's the, that's the same word. He shall rule as one of the staffs, as one of the as one of the the uh, rods. I forgot to tell you that staff is also, tribe, tribe is also uh, the same word as scepter. That's the exact same word there, uh, Shebet. So we see in the Old Testament, our Lord speaks of Dan, that Dan, the son of, 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 of Israel, of Jacob, shall, be, shall judge his people as one of the tribes, as one of the, the staffs, as one of the uh, rods of Israel. Now, if you would... The Old Testament meaning is rod of authority, rod of guidance, the staff of a shepherd, the scepter of authority, sovereign rule. In the New Testament, the word is rabdos, a stick or a wand, a baton of royalty, a rod, a scepter, a staff. Now over in Mark, turn turn over to Mark chapter 6, verse 8, and we'll see where it's used there. In Mark chapter 6, verse 8. We'll see how the word, and it's not the word scepter. I meant to write that down, which word it was here. Over in Mark, chapter 6, verse 8. Staff. And the Lord commanded them that they should take nothing for their journey. Now remember, the Lord was sending out His uh, disciples two by two. And they were only to go out with what? Their staff. Folks, that's what you and I go through this world with. When we walk out these doors, uh, you know, that sign that's over that door says, you're now entering into the missionary field. We're going out into the world. We're not taking any clothing of our own. We're not taking any righteousness of our own. But we are taking the scepter of righteousness with us. We're taking the staff that God has told us to go out into the world. What is that staff? It's Jesus Christ. That's our story to the world, is it not? Is that not what we share with the people that we are given the blessings to come across with? My Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, 
That's my staff. That's the scepter of righteousness that I carry with me. That's the scepter of righteousness that all of God's children. We don't go out into the world and tell people how great we are. We tell them how great our Savior is. And he commanded them that they should take nothing for their journey save a staff only, save a scepter. The Webster's definition of of that word scepter is a staff or a baton borne by a sovereign, in other words, carried or held by a sovereign as an emblem of authority. We picture in our minds kings that would sit on their throne and they'd always have that staff or that, that scepter in their hand with a bowl of gold and jewels on top of it. A sign of authority. With that in mind, we can clearly see that this scepter is none else than Jesus Christ himself, the sovereign of all that is, and all that is yet to be, the highest of all that is, the Lord of all things. Look with me at Acts chapter 2, verses 32 through 36. Acts chapter 2. This is the scepter of righteousness. In verse 32, we read these words. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this, which ye now see and hear. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, The Lord said, Unto my Lord, sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. And to confirm that our text tells us he is the scepter of righteousness. To confirm that this is Jesus Christ, this scepter, this one who is the authority of God, this one who is the power of Almighty, to prove that he is the scepter, we see the scriptures tell us that he that is the scepter of righteousness. Folks, there's only one righteous. There's only one righteous one in all of creation. And that's God. God Almighty in his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our Savior is excellent. His glory and His superiority are once again set before us in an ever-creasing tone as we have seen so far in this book of Hebrews. The words, Thy God, that we see in verse 9 refer to both the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and to God the Father, for the Father is the God of Christ, as we read over in Ephesians chapter 1. Let me, let me turn over there real quick and read that for you. We know that the great three in one is three distinct persons. We know that Jesus Christ prayed to God the Father, as we see, in, as we said in, in uh, or as we see in uh, John chapter 17, verse one. But over here in verse three, it says this: "Blessed be the God and Father of of our Lord Jesus Christ, and from the Lord Jesus Christ." So we know that. It's talking about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit because what Christ has accomplished is talking about that as our mediator 
He was anointed with the oil of gladness above his fellows. Look over at Colossians. Colossians chapter 1, right after Philippians. Thy God, it says in verse 9 of our text. It's talking about our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, as our mediator. In Colossians chapter 1, we see in verse 14, in whom, speaking of Christ, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him, verse 16, Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, for by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have preeminence. So we see our Lord exalted here back in our text one more time. And I'll bring this to a close. Not only is he made better than the angels, not only is our Savior, why is this important to you and I? Why is it so important that we exalt our Savior, Jesus Christ, and, and be declare him who he is? Because the world doesn't know him. The world doesn't even want to know him. They want to run from the light. Why is it important that we raise up our Savior before the world and ourselves? Because that's where the promises, the, that's where the assurity of his promises, I'm not saying that right. Let me see if I can try this again. That's where, that's the foundation that his promises are sure. And amen and amen. His promises shall be fulfilled because it was God Almighty who was making those promises. He cannot fail. His purpose shall not be thwarted. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. Amen.